Would you now stand for the reading of God's Word as we continue our study in the book of Philippians? I'm going to read Philippians 1, verses 12 through 21. Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers… Wait a minute, let me go back to verse 8. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, verse 12, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body whether by life or by death. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. By way of introduction, let me ask you this. What is God doing in in our prison system in our country? Do you know what God is doing in our prison system? At the end of the message, I'm going to use a a couple years ago, I broke into Walker State Prison. And so I'm going to use that as an illustration of of really what Paul is saying. I'm going to try to use that as an illustration. One time I, I used an illustration. I said, now let me try to apply this. And a man yelled. It's the only time. It's I didn't have a jack. I it was the only time someone yelled during the sermon. I said, let let me try to apply that illustration. And the man yelled, good luck. (laughs) I mean, I've had people fall asleep in a sermon. I've had folks work on their grocery list. Uh, Our our youngest son would diligently take notes. And and after a while, I I said to him one day, Drew, what what are you writing down? I was so encouraged as a preacher. And he said, every Sunday I write down all of the NFL teams. That, he now has a four-year-old kid, and, and the adventure begins. The humbling begins, right? In fact, our daughter-in-law took that four-year-old down to their basement, saw a spider, and yelled, holy cow! And he thought it was a game, and he yelled, holy horse! <laughs> the future is awfully bright in the Kirk clan. The context of our passage is Paul is in prison again. 
And in prison, he writes to a church that was birthed out of a prison in Philippi. He writes to the Philippian jailer. He writes to Lydia, the businesswoman. He writes to the former slave girl who was set free by the power of the gospel. He's writing a letter to the three of them. Can you imagine their excitement to receive a letter from the Apostle Paul, their spiritual father? The little girl says, what does it say? Lydia says, it says that he's in prison again. And the jailer says, boy, that boy can't stay out of prison, right? Paul is in prison. But even in prison, they know that Paul is free. Nobody knew that better than the Philippian jailer. He saw firsthand how free Paul and Silas were when he held them in the stocks, in the inner cell. He, he heard them with aching backs and stench-filled lungs at midnight worshiping the Lord. And when the earth shook and the gates opened up, they didn't leave. The most natural thought would be, we're free! They were already free. They stayed and set a jailer free. There's a real sense in every time Paul went to prison, he didn't go to prison, he broke into prison for the sake of of Christ. Notice what he says in verse 13. It has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul writes this letter to a bunch of used-to-be's. He writes to Lydia, who used to be religious, likely proud and self-righteous. He writes to a a girl who had been enslaved spiritually by the demonic. She was possessed by evil and oppressed by evil people. And then there's the Philippian jailer who had risked life and limb for the empire, for the Caesar. All of them came to know Christ through Paul's bold witness. Paul writes to a bunch of used-to-be's. Lydia, the girl, the Philippian jailer, the elders, the deacons, as we saw in verse 1, chapter 1, and to all of us as well. All disciples of Christ are used-to-be's. Paul's writing to disciples who have given up the life of their dreams to joyfully gain the life Christ died to give them. That's the overarching theme of the letter to the Philippians. The call of the gospel is to give up the life of our dreams, to joyfully gain the life Christ died to give us. And our big idea this morning, building on that, is this. The life Christ died to give us is his life lived through us for historic good and personal gain. In verses 8 through 11, which were actually covered last week quite well, 
Uh, the Apostle Paul prays for them as he has prayed for himself. And then in verses 12 and following, Paul describes to them how those prayers are being answered in his life. In a real sense, verses 8 through 11, Paul's prayer is the table of contents for at least the rest of chapter 1, if not farther. Paul's prayers are being answered in his own life, and he invites them in. He prefaces his prayer in verse 8. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ. They had experienced that affection in his ministry to them. And then he prays, verse 9 through 11, And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I don't want to oversimplify what he's praying, but, I th- but sometimes it's hard to summarize Paul. He prays for abounding love. He prays for spiritual discernment. He prays for personal holiness and for fruitfulness. He, in essence, is saying Christ's love is to compel us to love one another and to love the lost. Abounding love. He prays for understanding with knowledge and all discernment. This is spiritual understanding. Seeing seeing what actually is there, not just what's on the surface. Then he calls or prays for personal holiness. To be holy means to be set apart. He's praying that they would be set apart. Useful. And then finally he prays for fruitfulness. The fruit of righteousness as Christ lives his life through us. That's the prayer, and then Paul is going to describe how it is God's answering it in his life. It's striking. In our passage, I, me, and my is used 18 times. It's it's interesting. Some preaching professors teach never use I, me, or my. Don't get in the way. Never talk about yourself. It's all about Christ, and that's their motive. They want Christ to be central. Paul wants Christ to be central. And he describes again and again in his letters how Christ is central in his life. And then he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. This is profoundly personal. Having prayed that their love may abound more and more with spiritual discernment, personal holiness, and fruitfulness, then Paul says, let me explain how it is God is doing this in my life. First of all, love. Paul's motivation in his, all his ministry was the love of Christ. The love of Christ shed in his heart and the love of Christ that compelled him. He says in 2 Corinthians 5.14 as Christ's ambassador, for the love of Christ compels us to be ambassadors, to call people to be reconciled with God. Jesus, he says in Galatians 5, 6, for in Christ, the only thing that counts, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself in love. He's praying for their love to abound as his love is abounding. Spiritual discernment, to really see what God is actually doing, 
to look by faith, not simply by sight. He says, he prays actually for the Ephesians, a very similar thing. He prays for spiritual discernment that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his immeasurably great power at work within us. When Paul is praying that they would have love with knowledge and discernment, he's saying, do you understand Christ living his life through you, the implications of that. Do you know the power that's available to you? All, more than we ask or imagine can be accomplished, Paul says to the Ephesians. He's praying for spiritual discernment. It looks like I'm in chains. The gospel's not in chains. I'm free. Whatever your circumstances in Philippi, you are free. May your love abound more and more for one another and the lost. May you have discernment to really see that you are free and have great power. Holiness. What does he say with holiness? Verse 9, that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. To be holy means to be set apart. He says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. He is praying that they would be set apart, that they would be holy, that they would be useful to the master of the house. And then finally, he prays for fruitfulness. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Paul is a living example of this prayer. First of all, in verse 8, we see his love. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ. And then he goes on in verse 12 and following to show how this prayer is being answered in his life and in the lives of others. Notice what he says in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, he's just prayed for knowledge, discernment. I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Do you see the kingdom advancing? Even as I'm in a prison in Rome and in chains. Spiritual discernment to see the unseen so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. He's breaking into that prison for Christ. Verse 14, And most of the brothers, having been conf become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, the brothers are understanding, they have spiritual discernment of what God is doing. They become more bold. They're much more bold to speak the word without fear. Verse 15, then he talks about some rivals and their bad motives. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, others from goodwill. But the latter do it out of love. It's abounding love he's praying for. Knowing, praying for discernment, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to inflict me in my imprisonment. What then? As he's in prison and he sees people with mixed motives making his work harder, what does he say? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. 
Finally, he says, verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The life Christ died to give us is his life lived through us for historic good and personal gain. Historic good. What do I mean by that? For Paul, the historic good included going to prison. Verse 12 and 13 again, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. This is the historic good. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. But here's how good it gets. At the end of the letter, in Philippians 4, verse 22, he says this, all the saints greet you. So he is, he is actively sharing the gospel and, and people are coming to know Christ. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. What does that mean? What does that mean? If we supported a missionary, sent them to communist China, they were arrested and they were imprisoned in Beijing. If we got a letter back from them, saying, look, don't worry about me. What's happened has really served to advance the gospel. And by the way, members of Chairman Xi Jinping's household send their greeting. What would that mean? That the gospel was unchained. That God, he broke into that prison to be able to begin to reach. See, every four to eight hours, a new Praetorian guard was chained to Paul. <laughs> The love of Christ compelled Paul. He was set apart to be useful to the master of the house. He understood. He saw what God was doing. And he boldly witnessed. And he was spiritually fruitful. Some of us know Christ because of the faithful witness of a grandma. A grandma who through her prayers and witnessed, showed us Christ out of love for Christ and love for, for us. A woman maybe whose life wasn't easy, but who lived her life for the sake of Christ. A woman who fought the fight of faith to pray and to witness to the next generation. That's called historic good. For me to live is Christ, to be useful to the master, to be fruitful. It's historic good. Where has God placed you for historic good? To whom has God chained you? Who is being chained to you? Some of you have taught Sunday school for years. You've sown the word of God into the hearts of the next generation. And that word has taken root. And, and those sons and daughters of Clemson Press have grown up and been sent far and wide. That is historic good. The advance of the kingdom. Paul wasn't dragged into that Roman prison. He broke in for the sake of Christ. He believed Jesus' words when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He wants to live his life through us for historic good. 
I met with a young man who was facing jail time. He lived in our community. His mother approached me. I did a funeral of a, it was the most striking funeral I've ever done. It was, uh, it was a goth funeral. I didn't, I, I, I met the lost sons and daughters of our community that day. Uh, one of their own had actually taken his life. And I, I did the funeral. And walking from the back, coming up through the crowd, uh, I realized it, this is not a Sunday morning crowd between the, the smell of marijuana and alcohol and whatever. I realized, wow, I have the privilege of preaching to the lost sons and daughters of our community. Afterwards, a mother came up to me and said, my son's been arrested. He faces possible jail time. Would you meet with him? I said, sure. We met at the local Starbucks anxious, fearful young man. I'd, I'd observed him in our community. He was a punk. And I said, tell me your story. He told me his story. Then he said, now, I want to avoid jail. How do I avoid jail? And I said, you're going to jail. You're going to jail. And I can't keep you. But you could go to jail a free man. What do you mean? You could go in to incarceration a free man. Jesus came to set the prisoner free. He said, I don't get it. I said, it's because you are already a prisoner. You're a prisoner of self. You're a prisoner of sin. That's why you're going to jail. You're a lawbreaker. You, if you come to know Christ, he'll set you free, and you'll go into jail a free man. I don't know what ever happened to that man. My hope and prayer is that there's historic good that God brought about. I'm hoping he met a prisoner who was free in that jail, who shared Christ with him. Paul prays for spiritual discernment to see what God is doing around us and how we can be a part useful to him, useful to the master of the house. Chapter 1, verse 21, talks about personal gain, too. Paul says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Paul could risk everything in his life because he knew there was nothing at risk. Because his future was secure. The Philippian church was the fruit of that. You remember couple weeks ago. Paul wanted to go to Asia. Holy Spirit said no. He wanted to go to Bithynia. Spirit of Jesus said no. Then a vision came. In the night, he had a vision. A man from this area saying, come over and help us. The love of Christ compelled Paul. He saw things. He had spiritual discernment. He saw the vision and the call to go to Macedonia. He was set apart to be useful by the master of the house. He was pursuing personal holiness for spiritual fruitfulness. I saw this dynamic in the last two funerals I attended. I wanted to add a word to dads. Happy Father's Day. Isn't it great to be a dad? Hard, but great. 
The last two funerals I attended, one was here, Jim Jones' funeral. And then in, in Chattanooga, before we moved here, was Charles Coolidge's funeral. And it was striking. I, I left both those funerals more determined to be a dad. In, in Jim's funeral, his grandchildren all stood up here and three bore witness to his life, to the historic good that flowed from his life and Bobby's life. They had, he had come to know Christ as Charles had come to know Christ. Saw that his role as a husband and a dad and eventually a grandfather, that God wanted to use him. And, wanted, and so he set himself apart to be useful to the master of the house. And the result, they bore witness. The spiritual fruit of Jim's life. And in, in Chattanooga, Charles was a Medal of Honor winner from World War II. His son gave the eulogy and his son was a retired four-star general. And he says, you know my dad is a hero. And he was, but you ought to see him in private. To be loved by my dad. For God to use my dad in my life spiritually. For my dad to devote himself, to fulfill his vows, to be useful to the master of the house, it has produced fruit that it's historic good. Brothers, we have the privilege. It's a unique role, Dad. It's a unique role. Paul's prayer for the Philippians would be a good prayer for dads, that your love may abound more and more, that you would have discernment, see what God is doing, the lives of your loved ones, setting yourself apart for, for honorable things, not dishonorable things, honorable that. that that through your life, God might produce spiritual fruit. Everything is secure for us, for, for we who are in Christ Jesus. So how do you feel about the prisons in America? You know, Jesus cares about the prisoner. You're familiar with Matthew 25. I've, that's, I've, I'm familiar with that parable, right? You... You fed the hungry, you clothed the naked, you visited the prisoner. Interestingly, in all our ministry, we'd never been near a prison. We didn't, weren't, didn't really minister near hungry people, or we didn't think, or the naked, the stranger. So that parable was convicting, but it was from a distance. And then we moved to Chattanooga, and we joined a church, went on staff with the church for two years, a church that had many years of ministry at Walker State Prison. In fact, the, our denomination, Presbyterian Church in America, the leader of the prison ministry that's impacting 49 states is based there. He's a buddy of mine. We used to play ping pong together. When I got there, they said, Tim, you've got to go to Walker State Prison. I said, nah. Nah, I'm delicate. I, don't, I wouldn't fit in. No, 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 you've got to go. We go twice a year. We take the choir. We take the orchestra. We won't let you preach. Okay, I'll come. Now they said, now, when you go, don't bring your wallet. I said, that makes sense. So we gathered at the church. I put my wallet in my drawer. We drove there for 30, 40 minutes. They said, okay, now we got to go through security. Get your ID out. 
my ID. Yeah, where's your ID? It's in my desk drawer back at the church. Well, we're going to have to break you in. And so I don't have time to go through the details. They broke me in. And I was wrong when I earlier said only one time person, a person yelled. I preached to 150 Christian brothers who whooped and hollered. The preaching was good. It's estimated 150,000 inmates are evangelical Christians. That church has more than 30 men going every other week, mentoring for an hour and a half, a prisoner. Two of that church's elders used to be residents of a federal penitentiary, one for white-collar crime, one for attempted murder. Both of them came to Christ in the prisons, eventually making their way to Chattanooga, and they are leaders, like the Philippian jailer, right? Isn't that something? I use that as an illustration for this. Until two years ago, Christ's love compels me, but it doesn't compel me to the prisoner. It didn't up until that point. Because I didn't see what God was doing. That's spiritual discernment, right? But then I went into the prison, and I found men who were saying, we're not going to do common things. We're, we're setting ourselves apart. We're holy. Do you know what's happening? Some of them are getting college degrees. That's great. Some of them are getting seminary degrees, becoming pastors, they're lifers, and they're being shipped to other prisons to do what? Plant churches. Isn't Jesus amazing? And Paul is praying for us that our love would abound. How does it abound? By seeing what God is actually doing. The heart of Jesus, Jesus is advancing. It leads us to say, I need to be set apart. I need to devote myself to what the master is doing. And then we'll experience spiritual fruitfulness and heaven secure, so personal gain is all a part of it, the deal. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are awesome. We ask you would increase our faith and love. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Lord, increase our faith, increase our love that it might abound. Give us discernment to see where, where you're at work, in our neighborhood, in a, it, at our office, in our local jail, in, in sister congregations. Lord, give us spiritual discernment. Enable us to set ourselves apart for you, to be useful to you. Bear fruit through this church, through our lives, we pray. And all God's people said together, amen.